Hey, Love Tribe. Just a few quick questions before we get started today. I want to know why you are here listening to the podcast. Are you here because you want to stop bickering with your partner and you want to feel truly heard? Or are you looking for ways to reignite your sex life? Or do you want to feel more emotionally connected with your partner? Or do you just long for those fun, giggly moments of connection that you used to have at the beginning of your relationship? Well, over the last decade of hosting this podcast, those were the main reasons people tuned into the show. And we get it. We've been there. So we created our course, Spark My Relationship, because we wanted to put those tools to unlocking a fulfilling relationship right in your hands. We're offering $100 off our course, Spark My Relationship, which is a self-paced course designed to help you create more passion, improve your communication, and build a stronger, more intimate connection with your partner and have an amazing time doing it. We've collaborated with over 15 therapists and psychologists to bring you the strategies that marriage therapists teach their clients. So to unlock this special offer of our course, our listeners can visit sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock to get $100 off. That's sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock. How's it going, guys? What's up? Welcome to I Do Podcast, where we interview the world's leading relationship, marriage, dating, and self-help experts. Whether you're dating, single, married, or struggling in a relationship, we're here to help give you the tools to succeed. On today's episode, we welcome Stacy Gorlecki, and Stacy is a psychotherapist and author of the book, Food, Sex, and You. And we got into a ton of great stuff in today's episode, mostly involving food, sex, and you. <laughs> and Stacy really delves into how our relationship to food can also be correlated and, and is a lot of the same things going on uh, that we express in our relationship with others. And so if you're having maybe a food addiction problem or you don't have a good relationship with food, maybe you binge eat once a week or you find yourself staring into the cupboard at midnight, you're not really hungry. I call it emotional eating. I know I do it, but there are things that that can relate to how we express feelings in a relationship and things going on with ourselves and in in a relationship or if you're single that you may be bringing into a future relationship so a ton of great stuff to be aware of and Stacy who herself has struggled with food addiction and has a unique perspective that's why she's written a book on it as a psychotherapist she saw this link and she talks about it in today's show so definitely tune in listen to what Stacy has to say about her own personal journey and even if you're like I don't I don't necessarily have any particular feelings about 
food or I think that affects me. There's a ton of great information in today's show. And as always, you can support us by subscribing on iTunes, leave us a review, tell your friends. The show just continues to grow so much. We are getting record numbers each week with with downloads and listens, and it just really feels great to know that we are giving you guys information that's hopefully having a positive impact on your lives because at the end of the day, the ones we love, the relationships in our life are the most important things, really above everything else because if you're not happy with yourself, if you're not happy with the people in your life, it doesn't even have to be a romantic relationship with your friends, with your family, at work. A lot of the stuff we talk about on the show can be applied outside of simply romantic relationships. And guys, we love getting the emails that you send us. Uh, we read one the other day, and I think Chase and I both got a little tear in our eye just knowing that we can be helping you and we're helping people out there. So keep sending them. It really encourages us to keep doing this work, and we really appreciate it so much, you guys. Enjoy the episode. Thanks for listening. Support for I Do Podcast comes from Talkspace, the online therapy company that believes that therapy should be affordable, confidential, and convenient. Join over 500,000 people who have used Talkspace for online therapy with their licensed therapist. Get $30 off your first month by visiting Talkspace.com forward slash I do. That's one word, I-D-O. That's Talkspace.com forward slash I do. Hi, Stacy. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. We've given our listeners a little overview. So why don't you take a minute, tell us about yourself and why you enjoy helping people improve their relationships. Sure, absolutely. Uh, so my name is Stacey Gorlicky. I'm the author of Food, Sex, and You. I've written a book about body shaming, obsessively overeating, and I enjoy helping people because it's been an issue of mine that I've struggled with, my own issues of um, body image issues uh, and sexuality. So I have recovered from an eating disorder and body shaming issues, and now I want to help other people move through their issues. Well, I think we're going to have a ton of great advice for our listeners today, and we're going to zero in on the topic from your book, food, sex, and you. And I personally, from the the food point of view, and I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners, I have a weird relationship with food. I, I'm an emotional eater. When I'm stressed, I eat. Uh, and I know this. there's got to be deeper roots to, to why I do that. And all of this stuff comes full circle and, and it affects us personally and is certainly going to affect our relationships. So let's just kind of dive right in and talk about Maybe we can start with how our relationships with food, and then we can talk about sex, are formed uh, in early childhood. Sure. So when we're young, we often are free, and we see the universe as uh, open and very loving, and we sometimes... uh, get traumatized by issues with our parents. Our parents don't do it on purpose. And we, we take that into our adult life. Um, I'll give you a, 
a scenario. We could be running around naked with our Superman cape on or doing something that our parents disapprove of. And I mean, in today's world, we're not allowed to spank our children. But back when I was little, we could get like a spanking on the bum. And, you know, I was just playing, let's say, with my dolls or doing something. And I I was all of a sudden being made bad. And I've, you know, can take that into my adult life and feel like I'm bad. And then you cycle a bad behavior as you get older. So I think that that warps our self-confidence, our way of feeling good about ourselves and our negative thinking. It's crazy how much of who we are as as adults is shaped when we are young and they're, they're finding out we are our relationships with other people and with food. I imagine when you're working with people, are you able to zero in? Can people sort of zero in on a particular thing that may cause uh, a bad relationship, a uh, bad body image later in life? Or is it just kind of progressive series of things or is it all over the place? So these are really, these are great questions because what I notice um, when I'm doing um, relationship counseling is that I'll have two people come in. I don't know if, if you've done Imago work where a couple comes in and they start to get really annoyed with what the other person is doing and what I start to notice is that they start to pick up these um, idiosyncrasies that of things that their parents used to do to them that now their partner is doing to them. Uh, it's like a, it's almost like scratching a wound that hasn't been healed from childhood. It's called the imago, and so because the wound hasn't been healed, we are now picking up a partner in life that is. Um, that is reopening that wound and ne- the wound needs to be healed. That's why we attracted ourselves to this partner in our life uh, to help us heal those wounds. So it's sort of what you're asking yeah. about and being, you know, bad partner. It's, I don't, it's interesting how you say like bad partner or a wrong relationship. There's definitely wrong relationships and bad partners for us, but sometimes there's these scenarios where we get into these issues where we are fighting with our partner, but it's because there's something about ourselves that we don't want to see. It's like the the mirror, the image in us that we don't want to see that our partner is showing to us that we actually need to look at and we need to heal. And that's why relationships can be so valuable and, and they are so valuable because we get that opportunity to reflect back on ourselves. And bringing you back to the, the childhood, so when we when we're seeking a partner, are we sometimes either consciously or subconsciously seeking a partner to heal those wounds that that is maybe exhibits qualities that our parents had? Well, absolutely. I mean, I think so. I think we're looking to heal uh, unconsciously. We're doing this, obviously. We're not doing this consciously, but we're looking to heal the things that we haven't been able to heal uh, from childhood. So, you know, if you had a a mother that was really quiet um, as a male, let's say, if you had a mother that was really quiet, that never spoke, um, and a father that was very aggressive. So if you had a passive mother and a very aggressive father, and you're a male, and you're looking for a partner, you may actually find uh, a very aggressive female, and you may find the opposite in order to help you to find your voice in your relationship because your mother was 
was either like that or never like that. I mean, it can go either way. So it can be very confusing, but you start to learn more and more about yourself through things that you were never able to do as a child. So if your parents uh, had you sitting in a corner and, and never allowed you to speak or use your voice, all of a sudden you might see that your partner, uh, you need to speak more when you're older now, use your, like find your voice, that your partner is doing things to upset you that you're needing to find your voice as you are an adult. Is that making sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so how would the, how would this, or are there any specific situations that would cause people to specifically have issues with food or with body image issues from growing up from their childhood? So, so the, that's great because there's a correlation there definitely with all addictions. Actually, the, the fifth chakra, which is the throat, people feel often stifled in, in the throat. Well, definitely food because, I mean, if you think about how you chew and assimilate food and digest food, it has to go down the throat passage. But with all addictions, people feel like they lose their voice. They can't communicate. They feel stifled. I learned this through my own addiction and through all the patients that I see they feel like they don't have the ability to create boundaries. It's a huge one. So they, and I at that time felt like I lost my voice completely uh, in, and it maybe I mean, for me, it stemmed from childhood for a lot of people. I'm sure it's the same. Um, but there's definitely a trauma or a wound that needs to be recovered. So therefore in my journey, I used food as my coping mechanism. Other people might use, drugs or alcohol or sex or whatever it might be. Okay. So it's a lot of the times the addiction can be more of a coping mechanism instead of the actual problem itself. Pretty much. I think all of the time, the, the addiction is the coping mechanism. It's so that I don't have to deal with what it is that's in front of me because it's too painful that that way I can just numb out and I can not deal with it because that would, that's, too hard. So what would be the first step that you would go through with someone who is struggling with these things? Um, how would someone that's listening, I mean, if someone's coming to you, then then they understand that there's a, a problem. They might not know what it's coming from, but at least they're trying to get help. But what would you tell someone that maybe they think that their partner might need help or th- or that they they don't really realize it like how do you how do you recognize that there's a problem i guess well a lot of people i get a lot of calls from parents or partners saying you know my husband or my wife or my daughter or my son needs help and that usually it doesn't work <laughs> usually it needs to be the person that needs to feel that they actually want to get help or support um so cuz you asked me like a whole bunch of questions so here's what people wonder, how do you get somebody to come in who needs help? And what do you do if somebody comes in and needs help? So for an intervention, if you have like a family member or a friend or a partner or a lover, whatever it may be, the best way to go about it would be to gently tell them that you're afraid for them and not make it about you, that you're afraid that they're hurting themselves, that um, you can see that they're in pain and you want them to feel better and you can see that they're hurting themselves. 
um, if you think that there's like for advice for uh, some people that might feel that they need help and there's shame or stigma around getting help. I think sometimes people have hit rock bottom so many times that they are sick and tired of being sick and tired of sick and tired of just feeling pain. So they just need to get some help and they just go and get the help. Uh, and they realize that they have a problem. Other people just don't realize that they actually have a problem and they feel like they can cope and they're just spinning in whatever addiction disease that they are spinning in. That makes sense. So someone like myself, I mentioned earlier in relation to food, I, I tend to eat when I get stressed out and, but I, I don't think I'm particularly, well, I know I'm not particularly unhealthy. I'm, I, I work out, I'm an athlete, I'm not overweight, but I go down this kind of automatic response of eating when I'm stressed. So how would I deal with that uh, myself? And and to me, maybe I just need to recognize that I, I'm doing that and, and I might be, uh, well, let you, you're the expert here, so, so you tell me. <laughs> well, no, it's great because you're talking yourself through it, so it's actually great. Exactly what it is like it's talking yourself through it right it's like questioning it then wondering then moving through it then figuring out well hey this is what I need to do in order to move through it right it's really what it's all that's really what it really is all about is figuring it out and getting through it but it's really about being conscious and so for me when I was going through my addiction which was actually really bad um, I was told by my therapist when I reached out for help was, okay, so if you think that you can handle going into the cupboard and having a piece of chocolate and not eating the entire cupboard, uh, I want you to just do this one thing. And it was actually brilliant because it worked for me. It was, I want you to be, and it sounds so simple, yet it's not, it's not that easy. I want you to just be present and, and continue to say that you're present when you go into the, to the cupboard and mindful and conscious that you're going into the cupboard. Just be present to the fact that you're going into the cupboard and that you're going to have a cookie. And if you're present to the fact that you're going into the cupboard and you're going to have a cookie and you're conscious to that, then have the cookie. But just ask yourself, are you hungry? Why are you having the cookie? I, I actually, I have people write things down in my practice. Just like, are you hungry? Are you angry? Are you lonely? Are you tired? And once people answer those questions, sometimes they actually they don't want the cookie anymore or whatever it is that they're craving. It actually twists and turns everything into a different, then they no longer want it. They go for a walk or whatever, but it really is a matter of being conscious and present to what you want. Cause I would walk into the cupboard and I would think that I wanted a cookie and I'd end up eating an entire cupboard and I didn't even know how I did it. Cause I was completely unconscious. It's, it's so interesting. And obviously we can't deconstruct everything going on in one podcast or even several dozen because it, it is such a complex thing. But I think that's such valuable advice of just being conscious because we have these automatic responses and, and sometimes that can manifest in eating food or sometimes it's an automatic response to a partner when there's conflict. And a lot of times the answer is, in a simplistic form is just to be present like you explained and, and write it down, write down what you're feeling and going back to, I'll just go back to myself. I think when I'm stressed out and I go to eat, I'm, I'm definitely doing it unconsciously and maybe 
if that's happening, I could talk it through with, with Sarah, with my wife and say, Hey, um, instead of going to eat and, and finding comfort in that, I can say, Hey, I'm really stressed out with this project. Is that some, is that like a, an example of something that would work? Absolutely. I mean, anything like that would work. If you have a mentor, wife, husband, anybody you can call to talk to a hundred percent would be great. The other thing is to make sure that you eat like three satiated meals. I mean, a lot of people think that if they skip a meal, this is really important actually, that they're going to be better off or they're going to lose weight. But it's actually the opposite that if you skip a meal that of course you're going to, or if you don't eat carbs, okay, this used to be my thing. If I just ate less carbs and more protein, more fat, like the, all these fad diets that I'm going to feel um, better because I'm going to look better, but it actually catches up to you. It really does. So of course, if you're stressed, then you're going to want to eat more because you're not satiated. So it doesn't matter how much you talk to somebody. If you're hungry, you're going to binge. So you need to eat the three meals in order to satiate yourself in order, because it doesn't matter how present I am. If I'm hungry, I'm hungry and I will binge. So, and it will cut and hormonally you'll be out of balance and cortisol levels and all that stuff. So that's really important to have those three meals. And, and then you can think properly in order to navigate whether you're actually hungry stressed, tired, angry, lonely. It's called halt actually. It's hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And then you ask yourself those questions. We, I actually learned that in Overeaters Anonymous when I went. Um, I think they do it in all the, the step programs. But that is something that you ask yourself because most of the time you are one of those things. And if you are, then don't, don't use. Because it just, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not suiting you and you're hurting your body. That's a great acronym. And, and it really just ties into being mindful, being present again, and, and running through those things and asking yourself those questions. And our listeners might be asking themselves if if they are exhibiting these things or, or realizing that they are and or wondering how this ties into relationships. But to me, it's just, this is it's an individual thing, but this is certainly going to affect your relationship with your partner if you are if you don't have a healthy relationship with food. Right. So the way that I um, talk about food and sex, like you just mentioned, tying it into relationships. So if you are abusing your body like it's a war ground or a battlefield, you're not going to want to get into the bedroom and take off your clothing in the light because you're going to feel shame. I mean, I did many, many years. I went through that of hating my body because I abused it so badly. Uh, I never felt good about my body in those moments that I would binge and then I purged with laxatives or I would um, over-exercise in the gym to try to get rid of it. So of course, I'm not going to want to go be intimate with my partner if I'm feeling fat all the time or hating myself. So you can't really have intimacy in those moments. And I'm, I know a lot of people feel the same way because when I became a psychotherapist, I started to hear the stories replay in my office over and over and over again. And I was recovered already, but I started to see this common theme. And I was like, wow, this is unbelievable. I'd written um, 
about a thousand pages in a journal. And then I thought, I've got to write a book because I can help a lot of people because there's nothing else like this. So that's where the connection with food and sex are correlating. And that's why I wrote the book. It's food is such a big part of our lives. And, and you are the first guest we've had that we've tied this in. And it's certainly a, as you have found in your practice, a big part of, uh, of something that can affect relationships. So once someone recognizes there's a problem and they go in to see you and, and they're starting to work on their relationship with food, what are some of the, we talked about being conscious of it and, and when it's occurring, but what are some other steps that they can take to try to improve that behavior? The behavior with food? Of, yes. Of and, and then obviously, and then it's, it could be negatively affecting their relationship, but the core of it is, is working on the relationship with food so that they're more comfortable in the bedroom and that. So once they become conscious and, and they're working on not binge eating or, or whatever it might be, what are some other kind of things that they can, they can focus on? So it takes a lot of self-exploration and deep patience of self-love and acceptance is huge and uh, forgiveness because I think we're so hard on ourselves that we project it onto our partners. Because if you're angry at yourself, it's going to seep out like a dam trying to hold out the water onto our partners. It's like a projection that you, because if you can't love yourself, you definitely can't love your partner and you cannot be in an intimate relationship with somebody else if you haven't been able to be in one with yourself yet. So that's where soulmates and twin flames and all that starts is first, you've got to be able to feel that for yourself. You have to be able to live that first and accept yourself fully uh, for yourself. And food, since it nourishes your soul, it starts there. So if you don't treat your body nice and it's a battleground for food and you're shoving food in your mouth and binging all the time, then it doesn't show respect to your body. And that can be hard for a lot of people because it, there's temptation. Like food, is, it tastes good. You know, it feels good when it's going down, although it might not feel good after. It People are not conscious to, you know, when it's in front of their face and everybody else is eating and it's tempting. So I think it's about really making a decision and a choice to to change your lifestyle and also to really what's important to you. But it's, it's a lot of deep work. It's not, it's, it's simple, but it's not easy and people have to have patience and it takes time. So a lot of people just want to do it overnight, but it's not an overnight thing. I mean, it, it might be for some, but for others, it might take a lot of, of work and it, there's no simple answer. There really isn't. Certainly hearing this now is going to hopefully be helping a lot of people, but then uh, we would encourage them to go see a therapist like you. And, and I imagine even just me talking about my stress eating out loud, that is therapeutic in that I'm like you mentioned earlier, I'm talking it through. So I can imagine it's so valuable uh, when people go in to see you. Thank you. So there's another point I'd like to mention 
uh, about therapy. So thank you for that point. But when we're talking about the disconnect between the food and the body, there's um, psychosomatic and somatic uh, parts of us that we aren't uh, connected to. So what that means is that we are disconnected from our body, like our head and our body become like two separate entities often. This is what I recognized for myself when I was in my eating disorder and any addiction actually this happens because we're spinning and we're not grounded. So when we're stress eating or drinking too much or whatever we're doing too much of, we're not grounded in our body. So at Helix Healthcare, where I practice, we do a lot of somatic healing. So we do acupuncture, sound therapy, as well as EMDR, uh, which is trauma work. And all that stuff brings you, grounds you back into your body. So just talk therapy is great, but to do talk therapy with somatic body work is really the key of all the work that I did that grounded me and had me feel like I could be solid again back into my body. Well, that's a whole another really interesting topic is the relationship between the psychosomatic and somatic and uh we'll have to have you back on for that but that that's a great point and that that is so interesting because yeah it's we could get pretty deep on this but your sense of self and and then how that is separate from our body it's like we just occupy this this almost a it's not a different person but the body like you said and right. and then the mind like yeah and in that relationship is it's really interesting so let's just talk about that a little bit and so that are, are people listening could could something like going and getting a massage and and being more cognizant on the the conscious side of what they're eating and then on the body side or exercising are those some things that they can do Amazing, because touch therapy is really amazing. Some people hate it, and then they could do Reiki, but um, touch therapy is great because it it has you feel like you're back in your body, and it's it grounds you back into your body. So massage is great. Acupuncture is amazing because it – I'm not an acupuncturist, so I don't know how to – really speak the verse of acupuncture, but I, I love acupuncture. It changes the energy channels within your body. So it can move the meridians. Um, so that's great for a lot of people who are wanting to shift, um, certain stressors or points it within their body. There's also things that couples can do together that are like that. They have classes that people do together at Helix healthcare where I practice so it's it really bonds the couple together because it's a very beautiful ceremony you can go through as well, as well as your own healing journey you can do. So any of that kind of stuff that is somatic, that's body work, is amazing. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with EMDR, which I'm actually practicing as well. It's, it's for trauma. Um, it goes deep into the trauma, and it is an amazing um, process to help people release trauma. Can you just touch on it uh, briefly, if it if it's possible to? Sure. Um, so basically, if there's any, um, it could be for rape. It could be for um, any anything that that is a, a deep trauma. And so what it is is um, it's it, it's really hard to explain through um, 
uh, the podcast, but uh, just because I kind of need to be in front of you. But it's um, something that I would do with my hands. Um, it's a movement or a tapping, any kind of um, like a, a noise. And it has you go back into the into the trauma in a sense. And it sort of removes any kind of trauma. It, it can also be for war victims or anything that people have not been able to get through, uh, through talk therapy. They've been able to do it through EMDR. It's it's quite an amazing technique. It's something that people can get through within one to three sessions. It sounds really interesting. Well, there's our third topic for the third time you come on. We got all these, yeah. <laughs> we got all these great things, and and uh, yeah, it, we we do manifest things deep in in our body, and and I imagine it sounds like a, a really valuable tool. So definitely encourage our listeners to to check out the somatic body work and then the EMDR therapy and uh you mentioned helix healthcare if if you're in uh where exactly in canada are you i'm in toronto in toronto or or they can google it for their local city but they seem like really uh valuable tools yes definitely thank you so much so chase and i are new parents well newer we have a daughter that is one and a half and I'm just curious, is there any advice you could give other new parents for how to build a healthy relationship with food with their child? Sure. I have four kids, so, yeah. so I can definitely help you with that. Um, so I, I don't believe it's good to reward kids with food. Um, I think that it, in order to help kids with food, um, balance is good. And being united is good on all fronts. So if one parent, I mean, this is good, not just about food, but in general, um, if one parent says no to something and the other parent says yes, that's not sending the child good messages. Um, where food is concerned, um, does one of you or is one of you more into the food than the other or is it? Yeah, um, well, I would say Chase is more... Um strict about health, not strict. No, not so much health. Cause we're both very healthy, but I feel that I'm a little more balanced in that. I don't get hard on myself. If I do have a treat every once in a while where he's kind of the all or nothing type of. Right. So I guess it's also, it's also about showing, um, the child that, that there's balance, but also, I mean, it's good for the, for the child to see both sides, but not to hear that I feel fat or I don't feel good about myself or, I mean, all those comments should be left, um, you know, outside of where the child can hear because I don't think those are healthy, obviously, for the child to grow up because the hearing, because they might feel um, that about themselves. So that definitely is something um, all parents want to take note of um, because in society today, I think we all have so much self-judgment and they and kids pick that up from their parents and they might start to um, restrict food for themselves because they might make that uh, an obsession of their own where it comes from food. Cause I've, I've actually seen some really young kids who don't want to eat. They start to really restrict at a young age. So it's important to make food fun. And I mean, food is a pleasure. It's, it's definitely a pleasure in life and 
it's something that we want to enjoy um, and not make um, like it's a tough time in the day. Like you don't want to make them finish everything on their plate or have to hide food. Like I've heard terrible stories in my office about kids who have had to feed the dog because if they didn't eat everything on their plate, they'd get in a lot of trouble. And I mean, all those things are very traumatizing for kids. So you just want to take note of, of all that and just be mindful that, you know, they're also human beings and sometimes they're hungry and sometimes they're not. And sometimes they feel like vegetables and sometimes they don't. And I, I mean, I had one son who still, he's 16 today. He doesn't ever like that. He still doesn't like vegetables. Even when he was young, I couldn't force him to eat vegetables. So, I mean, everybody's different. Yeah. I think not rewarding kids with food is, is great advice. And I kind of take the approach and, and Sarah and I are, are pretty much on the same page, but we're pretty laid back with it in the sense of, of not making those ultimatums. I, I do think, uh, like you mentioned, like finish everything on your plate or else you're going to have to you know do whatever. Is there, obviously you want your kid to be nourished and, but to me it's like uh, our survival instinct, like the kid will eat <laughs> if they need to. Are there any other particular things that, that should do or not do in relation to food with a kid? Um, well, if you don't have the junk food around, obviously they're not going to be able to, like you said, it's survival, right? So if you don't have junk in the house, they can't eat what you don't have. I mean, if they're going out to a birthday party and you don't allow them to eat cake when all the other kids are eating cake, uh, at, let's say one and a half and they want cake, they're going to feel like they're missing something. And that, and I mean, maybe, and maybe not at one and a half, but as they get older, I mean, that behavior might turn into something like, well, I was never allowed cake when I was younger and now I'm binging on cake. I mean, I hear that too. I hear all kinds of things, but I mean, everything is different. I think it's a, a matter of everybody's different. Everybody has a different child and you have to re really assess um, what you're dealing with, like your, what, who your child is, what their needs are. Um, some kids are lactose intolerant or can't have nuts and can't have certain foods or have certain allergies or have Crohn's. So I think certain diets really have to be assessed for certain kids. And I think it's really hard because we want the best for our kids. And it's really, it's kind of scary because you also don't want to hurt them. Um, in being too strict or too lenient or being too controlling, all those things. But at the same time, it, you know, you still have to be a parent, right? And you have to guide them in the right direction. So I, there's, you know, here's the thing. There's no right or wrong answer. And no matter what you do, it's never going to be perfect. So I think in knowing that there's not, no such thing as perfection and in your humanness that you're doing the best that you possibly can, and let's just go back to the being present and conscious in your in your every move that when you're feeding your child, you love them and you're doing the best for them. That's the best you can possibly do. Right. Like that's the best advice I could possibly give, because there's no one way to do something. You know, you can't stick to a like a, a one way. I think it's it's not black and white sort of in that sense for any parent. I love that at the end of the day. Right. You got to take that stance because I was getting ready to ask you another particular uh, thing that happened. And Sarah and I were discussing having these cookies that we normally wouldn't have in the house, but 
Sarah gives him to Stella as a treat, and we kind of got in a fight over it. And, and of me just saying, "Well, why not? Let's let's not uh, just let's just not have him in the house because she won't know any <laughs> different." And then Sarah's coming from the perspective, and, and we talked about this. She grew up where it, it was no candy, no no nothing, and not because her mom was strict, but that just was how it was. And maybe she felt left out, and now she is exhibiting that in 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 this situation. So it is so complicated and, and there yeah. are so many things acting uh, when, when we're doing this with our kid or in relationships, but that's what I, I, I really want to drive home. And, and what I love is that at the end of the day, you got to do the best for you and for, or for what you can do. And then, and not to be so hard on yourself. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and on your partner too, on each other, right? Because you both have different ways that you were brought up and you're now bringing that together and bringing up another being, right? And you, you are trying to put your, each other's thoughts on each other, right? And, and that's tough. I mean, I've been there too, right? So it can't, there's no such thing as perfect. So we have to be forgiving to each other and allow some wiggle room and allow each other to also be in order for that to to flourish right because our child is not gonna nothing's gonna happen right if they have this or that or if they don't have this or that right I'm talking about cookies or not cookies or whichever there's no right or wrong um I think it's just it's our own stuff that comes up Exactly. Yeah. Right. Like, it has nothing to do with the kid. It yeah. has to do with our stuff. Yeah. And then me in that situation, I was probably trying to exert control, and 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 then and that goes back into my child, <laughs> and then we go right. back down. So, uh, well, I love it. I've done quite a bit of talk therapy for myself here, and this is all great information. I think our listeners can take home. So now we got to move forward to the lasting love round. But first, we want to tell you a little about our sponsor, Talkspace. Almost every guest we've had on the show has recommended talking with the therapist as one of the most effective ways to improve yourself and your relationship. And that's why we're excited to tell you more about Talkspace. If you've ever thought about going to therapy, but found it too inconvenient, too expensive, or just too embarrassing to make it into an office, then give Talkspace a try. Talkspace is an online therapy company, and they make it easy to connect to a licensed therapist handpicked just for you for as little as $32 a week. Talkspace allows you to text, audio, and video message your therapist as much as you want. Your Talkspace therapist can listen to you vent about work or family, explore your relationship, and help put you on the path to a happier life. To sign up or to learn more, go to Talkspace.com forward slash I do. That's one word, I-D-O. And as a special offer for our listeners, you can use coupon code I do to get $30 off your first month and to show your support for this podcast. That's I do and Talkspace.com forward slash I do. Talkspace, therapy for how we live today. What is one tool or practice our listeners can use on a daily basis to help improve their relationship? I think it, it just being mindful that we can be um, softer on the other partner and understanding that we have to choose our battles 
And in knowing that, I think uh, we can be uh, more loving and intimate with our partner and allowing them to be because we can accept the other person for who they are. Is there a book or resource you can recommend for listeners who want to improve their relationship? Definitely. Um, there's actually a couple. There's The Five Love, Love Languages by Gary Chapman. And um, there's um, Getting the Love That You Want, which I love that book. I use it a lot um, in my practice by, um, oh my gosh, uh, Gay and Harville Hendricks. Yeah, those, those are two excellent books for relationships. And I would encourage our listeners, your book, Food, Sex, and You, is, uh, sounds like it will be especially valuable if anyone has resonated with the, the topics that we've covered today. And, and we will have all those books and recommendations and your book on our website, on your show notes page at idopodcast.com. Great. Is there any advice you would give newlyweds? <laughs> newlyweds. Um, I would say that uh, the first year, I think, is definitely challenging for, from what I've heard um, because you're getting used to each other's idiosyncrasies and the little things. But after, I think, it, after you get through that first year, I think it, it becomes smoother and smoother if you can, if you can understand each other um, I think it gets easier. And so the advice that I would give, um, again, would be, I mean, it goes back to the same thing, accepting the other person for who they are and loving them for who they are. And, and I think that, um, it's really important to, um, to remember why you got married. That's, the number one key is to remember why you got married and how you fell in love. What advice would you give our single listeners looking for a happy relationship? That it's really important. I mean, for both single and I, I think it, this is, you're asking me about single, but I think it's for both. Um, but I'm going to say it's for single just cause you asked to work on yourself. I think it's important to work on yourself, whether you're single or not. So I think to work on yourself, to really understand what type of relationship that you're looking for before getting into a relationship uh, so that you can find your soulmate, uh, doing some deep soul work, um, maybe doing that some of the somatic work I was talking about, some body work, uh, some just some soul searching for yourself um, and some self-love. Give yourself some self-love and spoil, spoil yourself so that you feel the love that you're not getting from a partner. Maybe you can get it from your best friend on a, on a friendship level. Well, Stacey, we've really enjoyed all the great advice you've given us and our listeners today. So why don't you take a minute, tell our listeners where they can find you, and then we'll say goodbye. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I am in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. My practice is Helix Healthcare. I, is, I have a uh, private practice as well. And uh, my website is loveinlife.ca. And I also have another website is uh, foodsexandyou.com. Where listeners can find all the information and links to today's episode on idopodcast.com. Go to the podcast tab and you'll be in the archives. 
And I think I can say for Sarah and myself, thanks again so much for coming on the show. Sarah had to run. And speaking of kids, get our daughter who was just waking up from a nap and is probably hungry. So, uh, but we really uh, appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we look forward to having you back to talk about all the other things that we covered. Sounds great. I would not cover. Yeah, I would love to come back. Thank you so much. Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you haven't done so already, head on over to our website, idopodcast.com to check out this episode's show notes and to sign up for our newsletter. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com.